As we record, the world is watching a fresh wave of protests against institutional racism and police brutality in the US, following the murder of George Floyd, an unarmed black man by a white police officer in Minneapolis. His name sadly joins a long list of black people who have died at the hands of police officers using unjustified force. During these protests in the US, we've seen law enforcement respond with excessive force and Donald Trump issue threats to those, to those protesting. While the media spotlight is currently and quite rightly focused on the unfolding tragedy in the US, this is by no means a problem confined to the States. Friends of the Earth has always fought to protect both people and planet. We believe in the right to protest, in the right to live free from violence and discrimination, and in the right of all people to be treated equally. Rights that are currently not being afforded to black people in many countries around the world. We stand with those protesting against the state violence and systemic racism, Please consider supporting Black Lives Matter and other organisations supporting those working to end these abuses. and welcome back to How to Save the Planet. I'm Mona, your favourite climate campaigner, and back with us again is Louisa. Say hi, Louisa. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Well, I don't know why I asked that. You can't answer me. How are you doing, Mona? I, uh, I'm okay. I think, I mean, everything happened in the world with Black Lives Matter um, and obviously the death of George, George Floyd is, it's in my spirit. I'm feeling it. I don't know if you are too. Yeah, big time. It is. Um, there is no way to, I think, describe how big and important and like obviously traumatic this moment is. Yeah, I definitely echo that. Um, and I just feel like I was really, yeah, everything happened in the world is weighing heavy on me. But I feel like I was quite proud of the response of, from Friends of the Earth. So, you know, last week was World Environment Day. Um, and obviously that fell during a time where, you know, loads of people out on the streets demanding Black Lives Matter. Um, and I'm glad that we acknowledge that as an environmental movement, we need to do better. Um, we need to amplify the voices um, of Black people fighting for, for climate justice. And also, I think, recognising that it is Black and brown people who are hardest hit by the climate crisis. Um, and then when we like cut to the UK, America or Europe, those those voices are really heard or really in the rooms that make decisions. Um, so for me, it's kind of almost been like the world is, it feels like it's almost on fire, but I'm I'm proud to be working for an organisation that is that has its values right to me. Um, and yeah, I think that's also why I'm like really pleased that we're doing this topic this week. And it's really important because obviously this topic we're going to talk about around um, the, our responsibility as kind of taxpayers in a country to not be funding uh, damage in the global south and kind of contributing to climate breakdown um, in countries around the world is is so important and directly links to that core of social justice that needs to sit within the climate and the environmental movement um and yeah so like i'm really excited to be able to talk a bit more in depth about this um so who are we talking to mana so first up we have adam gibbon from global witness to understand how our tax money is kind of funding oil and gas projects overseas because it can go 
it can get quite complicated to understand. And then we hear from Ilham Ramut um, from Friends of the Earth Mozambique, where, the, where a gas project is threatening the local community. Just to say, we did record this interview with Adam just before the lockdown. So a few things have changed since then. Um, most notably, uh, the International Climate Talks COP, um, which was supposed to happen this year, have been postponed till next November due to the coronavirus crisis. If you want to hear more about what that means and what the climate talks being delayed might mean for the environmental movement and the push to take climate seriously, we do have an earlier podcast episode about that. So jump a few episodes back and listen to Dude, Where's My Cop? and find out what that means. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for joining myself and Louisa. It's lovely to have you here. And before we begin, could you just give us a quick summary about who you are and the fantastic work that Global Witness do? Hello, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, my name's Adam McGibbon. I'm a senior climate campaigner at Global Witness. Global Witness works all over the world. Um, we got started about 30 years ago uh, working on deforestation in Cambodia. Our founders were in Cambodia looking into uh, illegal logging and how it was being used to fund war, the, the Cambodian civil war at the time. They uh, did an investigation that showed how logging over the Thai border was funding the Khmer Rouge. And the results of that investigation led to the border being closed and helped to bring the war to an end. So we essentially investigate uh, problems to do with natural resources and use the results of those investigations to campaign and create change. Amazing. Wow, that sounds so, that is a rich history. And I know Global Witness work a lot on um, corruption um, and environmental abuse. Um, just to take a step back here, why is it important to you and Global Witness that we report on that? It's important because these stories aren't being told. Um, if there's something happening around the world that involves corruption, human rights abuses, uh, natural resource governance, then those stories need to be told. And we hope that by telling those stories, we can create some change. Uh, one of the other things that we are quite famous for is bringing the issue of blood diamonds to the uh, attention of the world. And that's something that then uh, has got a lot better since we began to investigate that. So it's really important that these things are brought into the light because it's only when you bring them into the light that you're able to get some change. So Adam, it'd be great to get a bit of more kind of flavor about your own story um, and your background. Um, when did you first kind of start kind of caring about environmental abuses um, and, and corruption and how did that inspire your work with Global Witness? It actually happened when I was a teenager. I'm from Northern Ireland originally. Um, and through my teenage years, I was really aware that, you know, just from reading the news, hearing stuff on the TV, that there was a real environmental crisis happening. And I was just really alarmed that no one seemed to be talking about it. And it just sort of gnawed away at me, gnawed away at me until finally... In about 2007, the Green Party in Northern Ireland got their first seat in the, in the Northern Ireland Assembly. And I was really inspired by that um, because Northern Ireland is a very divided country and lots of people of my generation don't really have any allegiance to politics. And that was something that really inspired me. So I joined up and I became very, very involved. Um, I was a parliamentary candidate and I was involved in finding the youth wing and all the rest of it. That's, yeah, climate change is the most important thing to me. It's, it really is the cause of my life. I'm, I'm so acutely aware that every fraction 
of a degree Celsius that we can prevent of warming saves potentially millions of lives. So that's mm-hmm. really, really what drives me here. This is about saving lives. Um, it's, it's really important to be doing this work and feel very privileged to be doing this work because I know that um, it's a little bit intangible, but I know that this work does save lives. Yeah, so it's nice to hear from your story almost the intersect between climate and social justice because I think I think a lot of people in the movement um, and people who might be at, listening at home really resonate with the idea of it's yes it's the environment but it's also how it impacts people both here in the UK and here abroad. Absolutely, it's the same fight. Um, and what's and what's your biggest win been during this job? So one of the things that happened recently, um, which has had much more impact than we thought it would initially, was a campaign we ran a couple of years ago around Standard Chartered Bank. Standard Chartered um, are UK headquartered bank, but they have a massive, massive presence in Asia. They don't really have a high street presence here. Most people in the UK probably know them because they sponsor Liverpool football team. But we wanted Standard Chartered to stop funding coal plants in Asia. Coal is the dirtiest fossil fuel and there are massive amounts of coal plants being built in Vietnam, Indonesia and other places like that. And we realized that if we started to take out some of the banks that were funding um, the coal plants, then the plants probably wouldn't get built. So we went to meet Standard Chartered and at first they were really reluctant. They said, look, we, we don't feel under any pressure to stop funding coal plants or coal mines, so we're not going to do it. So over time, we got involved with some other organizations, um, both in the UK and in Asia, and we started to put a lot of pressure on Standard Chartered. We wrote to their boards, we did stunts outside their offices, we wrote a report about uh, how bad some of the coal plants they were funding were going to be in terms of climate pollution, but also air pollution like the amount of deaths they were going to cause. Mm. And we kept putting this pressure on and on and on. And in, I think it was October or September 2018, they said that they would no longer directly fund new coal plants or mines. So that was a partial victory and we thought that was great. Um, Then very late last year, they said that they wouldn't fund them at all. So they said before that they wouldn't fund them directly. What they meant by that is that they would still fund them through intermediaries, so other forms of financing. So they might give a loan to a company and then that company might build a coal coal plant, but they they said they won't do any funding of coal whatsoever. And the reason why that was important, I mean, it it was good at the time in and of itself, but the reason why that was important, because uh, we found out that it set off this chain reaction where lots of other banks in Asia started to follow suit. So after Standard Chartered said they wouldn't fund coal anymore, three huge banks in Singapore, uh, basically, the you know the financial capital of Asia said that they would no longer fund coal, and then some Japanese banks started to restrict their coal financing as well. So suddenly, you've got potentially billions being taken out of the coal industry, and that meant that suddenly those coal plants could couldn't be built anymore. So it, it goes to show just how important the role of money and finance is to keeping the fossil fuel industry going. We now know that because of that campaign and because of the chain reaction that it set off, there are many, many coal plants in Asia which will no longer be built ever, ever. Mm-hmm. Because renewable energy is getting so cheap now, they probably will never be built. And that means more people walking around having not died of air pollution. That means less climate pollution. It means more people being employed in renewable energy. It's had a huge impact. So, I guess that goes to show that even if you have a tiny impact, it can ripple out like a stone dropped in a pond 
and end up having much more impact than you initially thought it would. Wow, that is, yeah, that's really that cool. That like a win. That sounds awesome. <laughs> so how do you go about kind of, how does, what does an investigation look like for Globe Witness? How do you get that sort of information? How, like, do you have people on the ground, like, doing the investigating? What goes on? So it depends on the investigation, but a lot of our investigations involve our staff partnering up with organisations in country. So, for example, when we did a lot of work in Cambodia, we had partner organisations out there and uh, we have partner organisations all over the world. So, for example, in some of our work around the UK's footprint um, is financed for fossil fuels abroad. We work with partners all over the world, particularly in some of the countries that are being affected by these projects. Uh, We get the details of what's happening. Uh, We package it up into a report. We we perform research. Sometimes that's desk-based. Sometimes that involves going out into the fields. Uh, We write the reports and then we attempt to get uh, the media and politicians to take an interest. You mentioned there the funding fossil fuels abroad investigation and that's been in the press a little bit recently. Can you give us a bit of an overview of, of what that is? So Global Witness concerns itself with what we would call public finance and uh, that being uh, government money. The money that our government provides to keep the uh, fossil fuel industry going. And in the UK, Our government is very keen on telling us that it's a climate leader, that we're bringing down emissions at home, aren't we fantastic? But it leaves out the fact that we have a huge footprint abroad. There are so many government financial institutions that prop up the fossil fuel industry. So we've been doing investigations to uncover some of these organizations, the money uh, where it's going, our money, that is taxpayers' money, where it's going, uh, what kind of project it's supporting, and trying to build political support to get this stopped. That sounds really shocking to me. And I know a lot of people hearing this would be surprised because you're right, we do hear that, you know, the UK is a world leader, we're on the forefront, we're doing better than others. But it almost feels like in this very hush-hush corner, our taxpayer money is going towards, you know, so many projects abroad that we have no idea about. You're absolutely right to say that uh, when people actually hear about this, they're really shocked. They have absolutely no idea that their money is going towards this. Um, So the way to think about it um, is that there is public finance, government money, and that splits into a couple of different categories. One of the big ones is aid money. So the money that uh, British taxpayers pay abroad to um, help other countries, poorer countries, uh, foreign aid. We should be really proud of our foreign aid, but a lot of it goes to fossil fuels. And actually that doesn't actually help people in uh, developing countries. So that's one part of it. The other part of it, the other major part is export financing. And that's the money that the government provides to help British businesses overseas. And again, a lot of that goes into fossil fuels. So one of the big um, pieces of investigative work we've been doing is looking into a little known government agency called UK Export Finance. Uh, UK Export Finance gives 97% of its energy-related financing to fossil fuels and only 3% to renewables. So that's an organization that we've been doing quite a lot of research about. Um, One of the things we did last year was we got a parliamentary inquiry going uh, to look into this. And there was some really interesting stuff that came out of it. And the committee um, ended up recommending that they phase out 
fossil fuel investments by 2021, which the government has then ignored. But the fact that that inquiry happened meant that so many people started to begin taking an interest. Um, we've got lots of other organizations working on this now, and even some quite high profile people. So Ban Ki-moon, who is a, mm. one of the former secretary generals of the United Nations, actually singled out the UK government and said they need to stop their overseas fossil fuel financing. So... I mean, this seems like on the surface a pretty black and white, like bad thing for them to be doing. What's what's the government's like justification of this? So they've got different excuses for different organisations, but the two big ones are when it comes to aid money, uh, their excuse is that, uh, well, we need to provide fossil fuel projects so the world's poorest people can get out of energy poverty. Now, we completely agree that the world's poorest people absolutely need energy but all the experts now agree all the development agencies now agree that the best way to get energy to the poorest people in the world is through distributed renewable energy so small solar powered grids where you don't have to build loads of power lines you don't have to build loads of centralized power plants solar power wind power those are the things that will connect um, people in the poorest communities with energy. The answer is not building new gas-fired power plants or new coal-fired power plants, which are only gonna it's only gonna make um, poverty in the global south worse. So that's the excuse for AIDS. Uh, when it comes to um, export financing, support for British business overseas, their excuse is is that they're demand-led and that they will, well, actually they have several excuses. Um, their excuse is that they're demand-led so that they can only support the businesses that come to them. And I think that speaks a lot about the fact that they... The, the government have done a lot in this country to decimate our domestic renewable energy industry. And it may be there'd be more British companies trying to export products, renewable products, if we hadn't cut renewable subsidies so much over the past 10 years. So they've got different excuses for different departments, but ultimately none of them really hold water. We need to be helping the world's poorest people with our aid money by funding renewable energy. And we need to support British business at home by assisting renewable energy companies to export and not supporting the outdated fossil fuel economy of the past. Yeah. And I guess then by extension, then, if, um, you know, governments do invest in, uh, you know, a, a project abroad, um, would one of the kind of excuses, as you say, be that it is investing in local economies and then by extension, creating local jobs? So they will claim that there is a benefit um, by creating jobs in local economies in the global south with fossil fuel projects. But ultimately, those aren't going to be lasting jobs because we know if we're going to keep under the uh, targets that were agreed at the Paris Climate Change Summit, then some of those uh, fossil fuel assets that are being built in the global south can't burn uh, the fossil fuel they've been built to burn. So at some point, they're going to have to close down and those people will not have those jobs anymore. However, if we're able to support renewable energy jobs in the global south, then that's a much better outcome because those jobs will exist in, in forever in perpetuity. Uh, so it makes sense to support renewable energy rather than fossil fuel energy in the developing worlds. Are these projects also taking land away from people? Like what's the other, what's, what are the other impacts on local communities? So there are some projects that uh, the British government supports with taxpayers' money that are deeply, deeply problematic. One in particular is a liquefied natural gas terminal, an LNG terminal, um, 
in Mozambique, LNG is a highly polluting form of gas and the British government is considering whether to support this project. Um, it's in a really, really precarious position. There is a basically a civil war going on in, in that part of Mozambique and all the activity that's happening around this gas project is actually putting uh, local people in danger. There's been some allegations that People have had their land taken off them or they've had their land signed away and they haven't understood the terms in which that's happened. There's been um, there's been a local insurgency happening where the, all the activity in the region around uh, building this gas terminal has put um, has made those the people who work in that facility a target and therefore it's putting some of the local communities around the facility in danger. So there, there are lots of projects like this that have got um, other impacts as well as climate impacts. They have impacts on people's land, people's property, people's lives even. Um, so it just goes to show that the UK needs to invest in more ethically sound investments that protect the planet, but also protect people's livelihoods in the local areas where the protests are happening. So it seems like, Adam, there is no wins here if it's, if it's not helping local peoples in, in the long term, destroying livelihoods, destroying the planet. Um, our government has been called out internationally. Why does the government continue to go ahead with these kind of climate wrecking projects? I think it's there's several reasons. I think one of it is just pure inertia. They've always done it this way, so why should they change now? I think that's one of the key reasons why. Another reason why is the influence of the fossil fuel industry at home. They've got a great deal going here where they can use government money to export their products and take all the risk out of those transactions. So they want to keep it that way. And we often hear scare stories about how if we stopped... Um, subsidizing uh, fossil fuel energy abroad, then that would have a big impact on British supply chains. And to be honest, there's actually not a lot of evidence for that. Yes, we have a domestic oil and gas industry here, but a lot of that isn't affected by export financing. We could easily transition uh, export financing away from fossil fuels into renewable energy and create lots of jobs in the UK in the process. So there's a real reluctance on the government's part to actually take the action that's needed here. I think they need to realise that if they don't have their house in order before the Glasgow uh, Climate Summit on this, then they're going to be judged really heavily by other countries. Um, and they should, they've got a shameful record on overseas fossil fuels. So they really need to change this. All right. So we're talking a lot about investments. Um, where, where's the money for that coming from? It's coming from your pocket. If you're listening to this and you live in the UK, then it's coming out of your tax. If you go to the shop and you buy a packet of sweets, then the value-added tax that you pay from that is going towards these projects. If you pay income tax, it's going towards these projects. If you pay any sort of tax in the UK, you're helping to pay for these fossil fuel projects overseas. And I know for a lot of people, hearing that will make them absolutely outraged, and they're completely right to do so. But just having that information and knowing that is the first step to actually changing this. If we can tell our politicians and decision makers that we know about this and we're not happy about it, then we're well on the way to getting this stopped. As taxpayers, like, what have we got at our disposal that we can do about this? How do we, how do we ask the government to stop 
spending our money in this way. We need to do everything possible to let them know that we're aware of this because a big part of the problem here is that for so long, people have had absolutely no idea that this is happening. So if people are writing to their MPs, writing to government ministers, writing to the prime minister, telling them, we know this is happening, we're taxpayers, we want this to stop, that is a tremendously powerful thing to do because they really struggle to justify this. Once people start to know about this, it becomes incredibly hard to justify. So just people, nothing that we ever do is in vain. I think, you know, it's very easy when you're involved in activism or care about politics or the environment to feel alienated or to feel like what you do doesn't make a difference. But we absolutely know that everything we do makes a difference. As I said earlier, every fraction of a degree Celsius warming that we prevent could save millions of lives. So I guess that's the motivation for doing this. And even if something doesn't feel that it's having an immediate impact, you need to know that it is having some kind of impacts. Now is the time to get out there, speak to your MPs, uh, tell them you're not happy about this, write to them and not just email them, actually write them letters because that is something they take notice of. Uh, write to all the, your MPs, write to the prime minister, uh, tell, write to your local paper, tell other people about it, spread the word, join your local Friends of the Earth group, uh, just be active with other people. The antidote to feeling in any way alienated or apathetic is to get together with groups of other people because small groups of people acting together can make far more difference than you think. Yeah, true that. No, I guess in a small way for me, um, because it's my tax money, there feels like a there is a different kind of pulling power. Um, uh, and sometimes you feel like, oh, no, it's so far away or the government policy on this, I can't influence because it's my money. It feels so much more personal and it feels it feels much more tangible in terms of something to campaign against. If you could leave listeners, if you could leave listeners with one thing to take away from your investigation and from uh, kind of the fossil fuel funding uh, projects, what would it be? I think the lesson to take away from this around funding of fossil fuel projects, whether that's through public finance, government finance, taxpayers' money, or whether that's through private finance, is that we are all through our lives connected to pots of money. We might not all live beside a like a fossil fuel power plant, but we are all connected to pots of money. We have pension funds or we have bank accounts and all of those things invest in fossil fuels. So one of the most powerful things that you can do is to make those pots of money get away from fossil fuels. And whether that's your taxpayer money or whether that's your pension fund or your local bank account, taking your money away from those things or making those financial services move away from fossil fuels is an incredibly powerful thing to do. And it's something we can all do. All we need to do is get a couple of friends together and start work on that and we'll have a huge impact. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, thanks so much for talking to us, Adam. Thank it's you. It's been great. Thank you very much. It's so frustrating that pretty much everyone is calling on our government to stop funding fossil fuel projects overseas, yet through bureaucracy and you know idleness, it still happens. Um, I think, but because our money is coming from us, I feel it gives me more power to stand up to the government um, and tell it to stop. You know, I, I feel some sense of ownership over that, which I don't really feel over other types of campaigning. Definitely, and it also I think kind of gives me a, like more of a gut anger I mean I have a gut anger about a lot of things but there's something there is something very kind of visceral about my money or like the money that I give you know I'm very happy to pay my taxes in order for 
you know society to be good and for people to be looked after but the idea that that's being spent on funding the destruction of climate and communities and people's livelihoods um it it annoys me to put it mildly mana no, exactly. I, th- I think that's exactly it. It's our money that's meant to be for our NHS, for our schools, um, but it's used to destroy other parts of the world. Obviously, Adam mentioned the specific project in Mozambique um, and there we do have colleagues in Friends of the Earth Mozambique there who are campaigning against this project. So we asked one of the campaigners there to uh, tell us a little bit about the situation there at the moment. So just going to play you um, a little clip she sent us of um, what's happening there and and yeah, Friends of the Earth Mozambique's take on, on the project and how we can get involved. Hi, I'm Ilham Raut. I work with Justice Ambiental, Friends of the Earth Mozambique, and we coordinate the No to Gas campaign to stop gas in Mozambique. And right now we're focusing on the liquid natural gas industry up up in Cabo Delgado, which is a northern province that has been in the news quite a lot lately because of insurgent attacks that have left 100,000 people displaced and over 1,000 people killed. But it's also pretty well known because of this massive gas industry, 150 trillion cubic feet that all the same culprits are there to take, Total, Anadarko, ExxonMobil, Shell. Um, And they've led to, you know, the textbook resource curse impacts. Uh, Lots of forced relocations of communities, uh, terrible environmental impacts. There's going to be a huge impact on the climate, which, you know, the environmental impact assessment says itself, but these companies are coming to just take anyways. It's the same thing you see all over the developing world where you've got companies and governments of developing countries coming to take fossil fuels and saying, look, let us extract and we'll give you lots of money that you can trickle down to the people. This has never happened in Africa. So, don't think this is going to happen in this case. Um, And how we work is we do a lot of work with communities on the ground who are being affected by this. Uh, These communities who are losing their land, losing their livelihood, um, losing their homes. And we work with them. We uh, get the information of what's happening on the ground. These people live in very difficult and dangerous situations if they speak out. And we take that information to our greater campaign, which is um, very international as well, and work with partner organizations in the countries from which these companies come. So what we do is we go to annual general meetings, buying shares, uh, we write them letters, we have digital actions, um, physical actions. And this is where you know people in developed countries can really help because we're trying to get the financiers uh, who are uh, big export credit agencies which are, and big banks, the companies, the purchasers, we're trying to get them to pull out. And we've also got, you know, there's some that still haven't made a decision. So UKIF, for example, which is the UK Export Finance Agency, are still deciding if they're going to finance the Mozambique LNG project. And um, if you don't know what UKIF is, it is a government entity that uses public money to uh, finance international projects with the aim that that will bring jobs to Britain. But this is not necessarily going to happen, and it's very destructive for the people of Mozambique. 
that what we need is for you who have access to the people making decisions and who have access to people with money to actually say what what you want to 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 say you know what the problem is why they should be pulling out because they will listen to you more than they will listen to a Mozambican community member um so i do think that with you know a great uh, passport comes great responsibility and it would be really great if we could have you on board It's so great to hear directly from an organization in Mozambique working with local communities. And it just highlights the difference in power. As Ilham says, we have more access to the people making the you know these decisions. So we need to use this power to tell the government to stop using our taxes to fund polluting projects. Yes. Please do have a look at signing our petition, which can be found on our social media. We'll put it in the notes um for this episode um there and yeah that petition is asking the government to stop funding these climate wrecking projects abroad um and obviously if you want to check out any more of global witnesses work um give them a google we'll put a link to their website in the show notes as well bro i think that's it from us um and with that we say um hope you're well and staying safe um and we'll see you soon bye yeah stay safe out there everyone bye <laughs>